see where it takes you. It's the promising journey of self-reflection offered by Executive Education at Judge Business School, University of Cambridge. Hello and welcome. This is Sarah Hassan. I am a executive MBA student from 2018 and today with my fellow executive alumni and current scholars we'll explore how fostering diversity and inclusion helps lead the way in our particular fields and organizations. So without much delay I'd like to introduce our lovely panelists um, and uh, they range from a they come from rather a range of fields, be it uh, technology and innovation. Uh, we have representation from the steel sector, and then we have representation from the real estate sector and the biodiversity sector as well. So introducing our panelists, we have Dr. Eugenie Regan. Dr. Eugenie is an EMBA from 2018. She is Manager Integrated Biodiversity Assessment Tool United Nations Environment Program World Conservation Monitoring Center. Dr. Eugenie is a co-founder of We're All Wonder Women, a career development course and consultancy aimed at building career confidence for professionals. She's a regular public speaker on both environment and women in science. We also have Ruha Hussein on board, who is an executive MBA from 2018 as well. She's a project manager at uh, strategy at Tata Steel in Europe. She's a committee member for Tata Steel's SWN Initiative, a forum that influences the role of women in steel industry and has presented at the National Council of Women Annual Conference, championing women in STEM careers. We have with us Tariq Shah, Imba 2019. Tariq is a director of Igo Group a third-generation family business specializing in transformational real estate projects, breathing life into underused or decaying properties. Tariq is a founding board member and fully trained mentor of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales Mosaic, inspiring young people from deprived communities in schools and prisons to realize their potential. He's also a trustee for Natural Disaster Relief, AHS Foundation, and chair of the Sleep Charity. And our final panelist is Yasreen Ibn Yahya. She is an alumni from 2016. She is Director of Advanced Concepts and Technologies at Imasith. Yasreen is responsible for leading breakthrough innovations in early stage mission concepts, reporting directly to the Chief Technology Officer. She's a founding member and chair of Women at Imasith Network. So let's begin this talk about and dialogue by hearing more about the individual journeys of our panelists and their relevant role in the field of diversity and inclusion. So we'll start off with uh, Dr. Eugenie. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's really a great way to spend a Valentine's evening. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my husband who said, thank God. <laughs> Definitely can go to that, darling. Um, I'm Irish. I'm really proud of the fact that I'm Irish. And um, I'm from a background, I, you know, you're kind of reflecting personally when I saw the questions. My father is, um, like, it's terrible, really. He's an alcoholic, a drug addict, and he's been unemployed his whole life. 
my mother was a single mother, a social worker. So it was a, you know, a, a particular background. And I am an absolute academic. I love books. I just love them. And we lived in the west of Ireland. And I said, I want to go to Cambridge University for my degree. My mom said we didn't have the money, which I'm so kind of like a chip on my shoulder now, because, of course, you can do things. You know, I'm a person who's just like, let's do it, you know. So I went to university in the west of Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I got to come to work in Cambridge, which was almost like a dream come true. I wasn't going to university in Cambridge, but I was coming to work here. And I work in international nature conservation with Nina. Um, I work under the umbrella of UN Environment. Um, it is such a privilege to work there. But I came in and definitely my colleagues are mainly from like a private education, um, which is quite different in Ireland. We don't have that kind of system. Um, and they all had a certain way of thinking. And I came in with a very different way of thinking. I think, you know, Sandra picking up on that. And there was points in time where I was working in Asia and Africa and South America. And I was like, actually, you know, this isn't the way things work. When you're on the ground and, you know, you just ordinary everyday people, this is the way things work. And I remember like slowly getting that confidence to build projects that actually really had impact because I wasn't someone who was from a particular way of thinking, which everyone else was, and I wasn't from a particular background, but actually I was just from an ordinary working class background that everyone has their problems, everyone has their issues, and there's just certain ways that things happen on the ground, you know, and Irish people are kind of, you know, we're really into our culture. <laughs> so it's like the lady that you were talking about in Sudan and just a very different way that things work. Ah, you'll have a cup of tea, won't you? That will be solve everything but actually just a different approach and a different attitude and that was what got you know I ended up being really successful in my work because I just came with like actually this is my personal experience and it took a bit of confidence to bring that to the table but when I did it it really worked and and had the impact that I wanted to yeah Brilliant. that was really nice and personalized <laughs> Thanks, Eugenie. That was really inspiring. Thank you. Um, so uh, I am a mechanical engineer, studied that in university. Um, for a living, when I speak to kids in school, I say I play with Legos. Minor <laughs> technicality, the Legos are a few thousand kilos and they need massive cranes. But that's what I do for a living in a nutshell. Um, so if I begin with telling you a little story about myself... It was more than a decade ago. I was in the third year of my mechanical engineering degree, and I was really excited this morning. I traveled a long way to be at this place. And this was back in India, so the roads, the potholes back then, even now, they aren't much better. But it was quite a journey that morning. Uh, I was quite excited. I was going to uh, work at this automotive plant for my uh, to my internship. Only three others from my class had got selected, so it was quite a big deal, and I was super excited. I stood at the gates first thing in the morning after this super long journey that I've had. Except I was never allowed through the gates because the policy was they don't allow girls and women on site. I spent all day there trying to convince them to let me through. The most I got was the manager coming to the gate and telling me basically their policies do not allow girls on site. I couldn't believe it. Initially, I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. 
It just is there, a hatyaz in my eyes, but whatever I said did not change the person's mind. At that point, I was left without an internship, without a project. I couldn't, uh, at that point, I thought I couldn't finish my degree. But then I couldn't let all these people win. I was better than some of the boys in my class. I could do the practicals. I could do the theory subjects. So why can I not go back in a manufacturing plant? But no one wanted to listen to me and then I wanted to change that. And well, now as a practicing mechanical engineer, I have made a small step in that direction, but it's not enough. I need to influence and make sure other girls who want to pursue mechanical engineering or any other engineering or anything else for that matter are given the opportunity. No one else should tell you what you can't do. It's your own choice. So yeah, so that's where my journey of diversity started. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> you have big shoes to fill now. <laughs> okay, follow that one if you can. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, that was amazing. Um, so, as you can probably see from looking at us, um, I'm a bit different to the rest of the panel here <laughs> because I'm a Yorkshireman. Um, so, my story is incredibly different. Um, I grew up in Doncaster. I'm the son and grandson of an immigrant who came here. Um, to Doncaster, a place that doesn't really have much diversity of any kind um, in the 60s. Um, and, um, and I work in an industry and a family business that is incredibly undiverse. So um, like you guys have alluded to, I work in construction. Um, and uh, and it, it is probably one of the least diverse industries that you can, you can get in any, in any sort of way. Um, I, so... In 2006, um, I met a chap on a train, and um, as all great stories start, um, we had a conversation. Um, we talked about a project that was being run in Birmingham, um, putting young uh, black men with black mentors. Um, and, um, and I said to this chap who I met, I think I can see a similar problem with young Muslims, where we've got people growing up in places like Birmingham and Bradford and Sheffield, um, who can't see that there are opportunities there available to them. Um, as a result of that, we set up uh, an organization called Mosaic, um, which was founded by the Prince of Wales. Um, and we worked in schools, in prisons, in community groups, um, taking what started out taking um, men uh, mentors who came from that same community um, and broadened out quite significantly over the years. Um, and for me, that was a huge sort of learning experience and um, came with a huge amount of variety. Coming from a place with very little diversity, it gave me a huge, uh, a real range of experiences. Um, and maybe we can talk about those a bit later. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's right. So um, I'm half French, half Moroccan. I was born and raised in Morocco um, and uh, probably have witnessed a lot of inequalities uh, during that period, 18 years in Morocco between men and women. But what drove my involvement in diversity and inclusion is throughout my whole studies, I, I'm an engineer in telecommunications, I work in the space industry, uh, I'm in charge of uh, today of the um, R&D and innovation department in a large satellite company. But what happened is two years ago, 
um, the UK has uh, kind of pushed for these guidelines where the FTSE 250 company have to publish their um, pay gap report. Um, and um, I started dissecting this gender pay gap report with other colleagues in the companies, in the company, and we started drafting some recommendations we wanted to present to the HR department. And so we presented those guidelines to the HR department and the HR director said, so why don't you set up a women's network and we can work together on those challenges. So at that point, I thought about the um, Emma Watson sentence when she uh, had the, the speech at the uh, UN when, when she launched He for She. And she said, if it's not me, who? If not now, when? And I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I'll set this up. So I started setting a women's network, sending an email to the whole company, got almost all the women in the building attending that event. And all of them started suggesting ideas about what can be done, what are the challenges they face, and starting setting up a board. And a year later, we've got a very uh, good structure. Now it's been two years uh, running and we have several pillars we're focusing on. The first one is about awareness and making male and female manager aware of the importance of their gender diversities, aware of topics like unconscious bias and things like that. The second pillar is about creating a community where women support women, can share their challenges, and, and having opportunities to meet, which sometimes men have over a beer at the pub, but women are more around breakfast and things like that. And then the third one is about growth and giving the talks and, and tools to those women who want to manage their growth around how to ask for a pay raise, how to um, really take control of your own career. And finally, the fourth one is about giving back. So over the last years, we support a lot of schools with uh, STEM role models, uh, giving talks about what is it to be a female engineer in the satellite industry, to give them the ambition that they as well can become that. Beautiful. That's my journey. <laughs> That's lovely. So we'll touch base a little bit about how your individual organizations are facing these uh, DNI challenges and how are they catering to that. So Ruha, would you like to share? Shed some light on your sector. Yes, yeah, so I work in the steel industry, and I work. My home base is the is the site in South Wales, and I also work in Netherlands. And it's quite diverse between the two uh, plants. There's hardly any women in the South Wales side. Oh, wow. I'm pretty much the only, when I was working there, I was the only engineer in the organization. We had a few gra female graduates come through. And then I look at the Netherlands organization where the engineering director was a lady. And that uh, brought more, attracted more women, more girls to the industry, which kind of uh, shows the importance of having a female role model. So although, again, same sector, same industry, yes, the Dutch culture is different to the British culture, but still such a massive difference within the same business just because of a role model. That's interesting. That's really So I work in the space industry. The space industry is extremely conservative. We launch satellites for 20 years. We don't take risks. And that's very much the culture. So the change is something that's interestingly in this industry is very difficult. And when we look at it, we are, and the company I work for is very representative from the rest of the sector. The average age is about 42%, is mostly white, male dominated. And I've always been the minority throughout my studies as well as throughout the, I'm always the only woman in the room and probably always the youngest as well. 
um, which probably will change after. <laughs> that for sure will change. Um, so, but the good thing is combining the, the women's network we set up and working closely with the HR department, we can see a lot of initiatives happening in my sector and, and other sectors as well, which is about kind of the things we talked about earlier, which is how do we inspire and attract women? And once we got them on the door, how do we make sure we actually recruit them? And for that, you need to have processes in place where you force managers to, to interview. You have still to hire the best candidates, but at least listen to those women mm. and interview them in your interview process and make sure there's at least one woman in your uh, recruiting process. And then once you've got them in, how do you retain them? Flexible working policies. Um, flexible um, maternity leaves, paternity leaves, parental leave in general are very important policies that are making women's growth much easier. And then there's the things like the Hampton Alexander Review, which is pushing for 33% female representations in boards. And that's another thing, which is how do we get those women in the top? And yes, those are quotas, but those are necessary steps, at least for a short period of time, where we can show that women are in those positions mm -hmm. And, and they can lead and they can drive very good and successful businesses. And, and that's all those steps that need to be tackled in parallel as opposed to one after the other. Indeed. So now that, you know, we've talked a little bit about the challenges. So what, and we've also talked about some solutions, but uh, let's talk about what are the pragmatic, practical, go-to approaches to facilitate and champion DNI. Um, Eugenie, would you like to shed some light on that? Um, it was thinking about, you know, doing the, the Ember and Ruha Raya and I are in the last stages of labour and the baby's about to be born. <laughs> That's how it feels. So we're in an intense period. But one of the, the big things that made a difference for me coming on the Ember, very practical, was having the um, scholarship, the women's scholarship. Mm. I really couldn't have, have done it without that. Um, but also practical approaches, like I feel sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about gender inequality and the, the problems and the issues, but actually I'm really fed up with that. So it was like, well, what can I do? How can I be better at my job? How can I help other people be better at their jobs? Um, we've learned a lot about being conscious of our own biases on the MBA, which is really interesting. And just talking about it then saying, yeah, like a, a CEO of one of the organizations I work for said, I'm not gender biased. <laughs> and I was like, well, we all are. We all have biases. You know, we just need to accept that and actually work with them. So I think just, you know, practical approaches, learning how to do things better and then sharing that. How do we do better interviews? How do you go in? How do you work with colleagues better? How do you improve this and that and the other? So just actually taking some kind of just pragmatic and approaches and then sharing them with, with other women. And Tarek? Um, so I think for me, there's three key things, really. One is it's this point about mentoring and role modeling. Um, so, and, and one of the lessons we learned with Mosaic was, first of all, that having relatable role models that looked and felt and seemed so female role models for women is really important. But it's also important to, to get young people, particularly, alongside role models and mentors who don't look and feel like them, um, but are still relatable. And it's that relatability point that's really key, that actually we don't only relate with people who look like us, we relate to people who are approachable and relatable. Um, so I think having successful role models who are relatable is, is really important. Um, I think starting from a much lower base is, is important. Um, so rather than taking the view, 
that we have to appoint somebody to a particular role who has a particular set of skills, you're automatically going to cut out a lot of people unless you have that diversity there. So bringing young people on from a much earlier age, um, supporting them and growing them and, and developing them, so that, um, that development within a business, I think, is, uh, is really important. Um, and, and I say this as somebody who leads a senior management team in a male-dominated industry of eight people, of whom five are female, um, four have um, diverse uh, backgrounds in terms of uh, nationality or origin, um, and um, two of whom have grown through the business over a period of between 15 and 30 years, um, starting off as apprentices. Um, so I think they're two key things is starting really early and um, good role models. So the World Economic Forum has ended uh, in some of the key investment banks, such as Goldman Sachs and uh, banks just BlackRock, came out and said they told diversity, and they made statements, bold statements, just Goldman Sachs mentioned that they would not do an IPO until there's one uh, female board member there in the goals. So, what are your thoughts on that? Is this kind of uh, you know step required, or are we kind of uh, promoting gender diversity? And maybe also we should begin to get cognitive diversity and diversity of thought. So, yes, we to do that. so I think Goldman Sachs are trying to set a, a sense of urgency. And that's I applaud because I think it is important that big names like Goldman Sachs have so much power and so much traction. They, they can set a standard. And by saying we need at least one woman in, in a board before we do an IPO is actually is going to motivate the rest of the industry to be careful to those, to those kind of metrics, if, if you want to say. So from that perspective, I think it's, it's, very, um, it's, it's very encouraging and positive. However, there's also this perception that maybe it's a fashionable thing as well. Uh, so it's kind of, okay, there are, every year there's a new theme, and this year it's diversity and inclusion, and is next year going to be another theme? I would, would have forgotten about it next year. So that's kind of an area of concern. But I do agree with your point, which is about demographic diversity as opposed to um, cognitive diversity. And, and there's someone called uh, Matthew Syed who wrote a book called Rebel IDs, who really explains that if you come from um, a cognitive diverse background, your business has actually more chances to, of success. And if you look at the top 15 of Fortune 500 companies, mostly are led by um, immigrants or children of immigrants, which mm -hmm. shows that actually to have a competitive edge, you need to have that, that diversity of thoughts, which if everybody thinks the same, like you, you were saying earlier, you're not going to really be creative and innovative. And today we have to, to solve very complex um, problems that do require that kind of diversity. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's really interesting but it could end up being an, a numbers game, right? A kind of race to the bottom. Okay, we've got one, one woman on the board. Great, tick the box and, and move on. Um, and it was a point that you made, Sandra, as well about 
DNI has real substantial benefits to organizations, the bottom line, as you said, Yasreen. And of course, I'm, I'm in the environmental sector, and you know, who is pushing the environmental agenda at the moment? It's Greta Thunberg, who's made a you know, massive difference in that, and that's a young woman. Um, Jacinda Ardern, I absolutely love her, she's fabulous. Um, I was thinking of Sana Marin as well, one of the youngest state leaders in the world, um, Finnish prime minister. And she has put in environment and diversity at the heart of her agenda. And I just think it's, you know, it's it back to the role models again, having those role models in those places and that different ways of thinking about things. And, and women definitely bring the environmental agenda and the diversity agenda with them for whatever reason. You know, there's loads of things behind it. So I think that, you know, Goldman Sachs, they, they probably didn't mean it to be a numbers game, mm. but they it's really showing, actually, they see it as something that actually makes a big difference in the successful of any organization, not just the private sector. Dutch-based mentorship and uh, sponsorship and coaching. So it's lovely to hear more experiences about how coaching or sponsorship or mentoring has given you the power in your career to drive inclusivity. Eric, would you like to give it a start? Um, yeah, so... I think one of the one of the reasons that I wanted to um, one of the drivers behind setting up Mosaic when we did was the fact that role models have been so important to my own life, um, and I've been really lucky to have some of them close to home, um, and some of them a bit further away. Um, and for me, that's one of the absolutely crucial things. Um, it's uh, it's having those role models in organisations, but it's also having support within organisations to allow you to, to to take that and do something with it. Um, so setting up networks is great, but it's it's looking one stage further than that. And I think um, one of the things that the Ember's been really good at is demonstrating actually and and enabling me to take back and demonstrate even more within our own organization that there is power in diversity. And that's a really powerful message. This message about actually diverse organizations are better organizations, um, I think, is a really important one to take back. Um, so we look, for example, on the Ember at our study group. Um, working with people from um, a huge variety of different countries, um, working in different time zones, um, working from very different backgrounds. Um, I looked at my group right on day one, and I thought, actually, what am I going to have in common with these guys? Um, we had um, a really super, super clever mathematician. And I come from quite a practical background. Um, you know, I can, I can just about work one of those scientific calculators they give us. Um, <laughs> And we had a, uh, we've, got a, we've got a guy who's in marketing. We've got a guy who um, based out in Germany who travels all around the world buying large property deals. Um, and uh, we've, got, uh, we've got a lady who um, was a project manager. Um, and, and all of this diversity from you know, people from different parts of the world. And actually, one of the fascinating things was that the answers we got, the solutions we came to, were significantly better than any one of us. And we all recognize this individually than any one of us would have come to on our own. So I think it's that power of diversity and Indeed. convincing organizations that it's actually uh, relevant for more than just the outside view. Totally agree. Did um, I was thinking about what, you know, this, this question beforehand and thinking about, you know, mentoring and how it's made a difference because that was you know, what you were looking at. And I was thinking about a, a, when I was working with a, a colleague and it was a time of real change in my career and a bit of, you know, kind of wondering about my own confidence. And she was two grades below me and she was 
super, like really amazing and very different background to me and different way of thinking and all the rest of it. We worked extremely well and we were given this project that was almost impossible. Um, but we were both really up for it. It was like that kind of, you know, like we're both really hungry for it. And there was a point in time where I just really clearly remember myself going, feeling a kind of my, my confidence has almost been knocked because she was so good. And I had to sort of like rein myself in and say, you know something, you're in the two grades above. You're doing really well and you're good at your job. What you can do is really help her. And she has remained what, a, a, such a good friend, but also such a dedicated colleague. She's, she's shot up really fast. And she always comes back and says, Eugenie, that made a massive difference how you helped me. But I do remember that moment in time where I just caught myself. I was like, hang on a second. You know, I can do this for somebody else. And actually just help that person up. And, and don't be, you know, sometimes your own ego gets a little bit in the way and someone is so good. Um, but it was just that moment where, yeah, and she's always come back to me again and again and said how that really made a difference to her. So that was a really proud moment. And since then, I just, you know, always, whenever I can, if I can help out, um, I really do. But it was just catching myself in that moment, which was just a really big lesson, I think. For Wonderful me. example of handling vulnerability. And vulnerability, exactly. Yeah. Oh, through her. Um, so, uh, I'll uh, again narrate a short incident, uh, well, story about my coach, and uh, I've since used it with other people I coach, which has worked quite well. So, wh when you uh, set yourself high goals, you, are, you tend to be quite harsh on yourself, so you stop you stop to, you, well, you never appreciate what you've achieved so far. You're always looking at the goal, the next goal, the next goal. You never are, um, you never give yourself the time and you don't appreciate yourself because I always used to think, oh, if I give myself a pat on the back, I'll get complacent. So just never, even if someone tried to give me a compliment or praise me, that would make me feel really, really awkward. So I'd never listen to them. And then um, I had this coach once and then she said to me, stop feeling sorry for the air you breathe, which kind of shocked me because I didn't think I was that bad, but I apparently was at that point in time. And then she gave me this exercise to do, which since I've used it with other people I coach and it does work brilliantly. Uh, so basically she said every morning I was supposed to write to her about three things that I'm grateful for not the sunshine and the moon, but more as in what you've achieved so far from what you were a few years ago. It was very, very difficult. <laughs> I just couldn't think, okay, one day was okay, two days, three days, I just couldn't come up with things. And then she was kind to me for the first three, four days. After that, she's like, you need to delve deeper, start thinking more. And then once I got into the flow, I think after about, after day 10, I totally got into it. And then once the whole month ended, I was a changed person. I, I was not, I still, um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say I, I didn't change as you are who you are. So you still have um, the insecurities and everything else that doesn't disappear. But then you become more self-aware and you start to appreciate yourself a lot more and that really helped and the other people who I've uh, coached and asked them to do that it's helped them a lot as well so something to try out maybe thank you so as we're all super diverse as a panel but we have one thing in common we went for the executive MBA at Cambridge so in the interest of time 
in one line, share what has the EMBA contributed or how has the EMBA contributed to your DNI leadership journey, starting from yesterday? For me, it's brought me confidence. And uh, I start, can I expand a bit? (laughs) 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 I I started feeling not good enough. I had the imposter imposter syndrome very strong when I started the the beginning of the the course. At the end of it today, I've got promoted. I'm in charge of my R&D department. uh, I'm sitting on a board uh, for space research innovation. I've been uh, also chairing the investment committee of a new venture we launched with a whole cohort called Oxbridge Angels. All those opportunities would have never happened without uh, the MBA. So definitely worth it. Derek. Um, I mean, I'm, compared to you guys, I'm relatively early in the journey, so um, I'm, I'm sure you'll have far more detailed answers to this than I have at the moment. Um, but for me, it's been about putting the giving support to areas where it felt things felt right, but weren't necessarily um, fully detailed, and um, and giving some structure to, to ways of thinking and demonstrating, as I said before about the study group, demonstrating the real power of diversity. Thank you, Ruha. Uh, it taught me how to. It was in one word. I'd describe it as a journey because it has been a journey, and. Uh, I'd say it's made me, uh, I'm able to listen better to people. So when people say things, sometimes you don't actually understand the meaning behind it. But I think this has taught me to listen to people better and uh, consequently be a better leader, be a better manager. So yeah, it's definitely been a great journey, which has increased my self-awareness tremendously. Ginny? Definitely all of those three things. (laughs) And I am, I've got a completely different mindset. My colleagues say it to me. My husband says it to me. Um, I think about work and I suppose kind of strategy as well completely differently. Um, I've been, you know, able to do much more in my job in much less time, which is fantastic. And then I've also recently gone for, you know, two job interviews, one headhunted and four jobs that I don't think I'd have ever been considered before. Um, so let's see what happens with the next story there. But it's definitely taken me places I would have never been possible previously. As advocates of diversity and inclusion, we'd like to part with these words from Professor Dean Sandra Dawson, former Dean and Director of University of Cambridge Judge Business School, where she beautifully described diversity and inclusion as an element which is spread across three spheres. One is our domestic and home sphere. The second is our workplace and organizational sphere. And the third one is regulatory and policy sphere. So we leave you with a ending thought and ending remarks. Where and how do you think your organization or your domestic culture or your regulatory zones or regimes are faring on diversity and inclusion. Thank you very much.